Now, what I'm going to act, actually ask you to do is, is uh, look at it, um, just observe it, uh, kind of, you know, look into it more than just glancing at it. And I'm actually going to call on some people. Uh, now, I'm not going to single you out. I'll start with volunteers, okay? Um, but I'm going to have some people kind of sh- tell me, share with everybody else out loud, brave people, kind of what you see in the picture, okay? So just look at it for a moment. I don't want you to start yet. I want you to look. Try to find, I don't know, three. See, I tried to open the door and let that bird out. But I guess bird brain, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a word phrase for a reason. Cause it wouldn't, but I, probably because I was standing by the door. After church, I'll prop it open and then let it run free or fly free. Uh, <laughs> All right, try to find three details or three, you know, specific things that you could share uh, if, if you were to share what you see in the, in the picture there. And have those kind of hold on to them for a minute. Oh, gosh. Wow. I liked him better when he was afraid of humans. All right. Uh, okay, brave people. You don't have to raise your hand, uh, which is hard for me because I'm a middle school teacher. I like want you to do that, but you don't have to raise your hand. Just uh, just call out something you see. You probably have seen more than one detail, but just share out one at a time. All right, ready? Go. All right, all right. Now, what I'm going to do is um, the reason I'm going to repeat you is because uh, someone might listen to this recorded. So I'm going to repeat. We're looking at this image. And, all right, and someone over here said something. What did you say? Okay, a face. All right. All right, good. There is a side profile. All right. Two faces. Three faces. Going once. Going No. Just. Uh, all right, so side profile, one face, two faces, three faces. So uh, what else? I see Wes pointing. What do you see? I see one face that's one's part black, part white. Okay, one face, one's black, one is white. Okay, uh, or part is white, part is white, right? All right, what else? I see a dragon. <laughs> I knew someone was going to come up with something different. Good, Jeremy, a dragon. All right, excellent. You see what? A carpet? You see a carpet. Wow. Someone back there said something. A llama head. No, wait. Did you say, was that plural, llama heads? (laughs) Okay. They're either noses or llama heads. That's good. Haddon sees a bird. bird. (laughs) That's good. That's good. All right. A couple more people. Anybody else? A mustache. I was wondering if someone was going to see that. All right. Good. Now, my middle school kids see mustaches in everything. Everything's a mustache to them. Mustaches are so popular now. People are wearing them on their clothes and and on their face, too. uh, All right. Anybody else? Nostrils. All right, this is good. This is good. I don't want to cut anybody off, but um, 
Now, this is something I do with my middle school uh, kids. I'm, I'm a middle school art teacher. And so this is something I would do. And it's, it's kind of a protocol that I would follow. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty closely. I feel like answering that. Hello? It's back there somewhere. I don't know. This is like distraction day, isn't it? God was like, oh, you're going to preach, huh? All right, how about a bird? A phone ringing behind the stage? Luke told me these things would happen. All right, what's going to happen afterwards? Something weird. Okay, I've got to prepare myself. Now, this is something I would do with my middle school students. I'd start with a kind of in order, a sort of protocol that, I, that I'd adhere to, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty strictly at first just to get them started, get them used to this. And, and so what we would do is we start out with, with what I call notice, you know, and, uh, and that's just basically where you just tell what you see. And what we do is we just look at it, we tell what we see, um, we're, we're not really interpreting it yet, we're not really trying to figure out what it means, we're not really trying to figure out how it was made yet, or who made it, and all that stuff, but, but we're really just looking at it to, to, to kind of get details. And then what we would do is we would move on to uh, what we call wonders, where we just question, we ask questions about it, you know, because usually when you look at a, a work of art for the first time, you, uh, you, questions pop up in your head. Um, and, and, then, and then after that, we would speculate, speculate on things. Um, that would be, you know, we would, we, that is where we would try to maybe see if we can interpret, maybe some kind of meaning, or, or maybe just try to figure out how it was made, or, or, or maybe by the clues in the artwork, uh, who actually made it, you know? And so, so that's actually what I want to do, just for a couple more minutes, uh, is move on to, the, to wonder. And I know that when some of you came in here, and saw that uh, some questions did pop in your head, and you and you wondered a couple of things about it. Uh, the wondering could be like why, what, where, who, what, you know, uh, when, you know. Those are those are things we would wonder. Anybody have a question about? Did anybody wonder anything about that when you saw that? All you brave souls, who've, who, who I'm really proud of you, just calling out in class like this. That's great. Um, but a question. Anybody have a question? I know you did. I just want you to share. Oh, anyone? Anyone? Oh, I'm sorry. Ty. Yeah. All right, Tyler. Okay, why? Why is it up there? That's a good question. Now, we're not speculating yet. We're just going to kind of hold on to that. All right. How about two more? We'll just have three questions. Two more. Tyler says, why? What else? All right. Okay. It says, is this an optical illusion? Okay. Good. One more. And a train. We've got to have a train. We need... Too bad there's not an airport nearby. Could, um, one more question. Oh, sorry, Charlie. Okay, did I draw that? I could have. It would have been easy, but... All right. Uh, so uh, now what we're going to do is just kind of speculate a little bit. We're just, um, based on what we see, based on what we're looking at here, um, we're going to speculate on, let's start with the, the first question, why? Uh, why is that, you know, why am I showing this to you? Uh, anybody have an idea? You want to you speculate on that? What do you think? Why am I doing this? Okay, Cat.
Wow. Okay, I'm going to repeat what she said for the recording. She said there's two faces. They both look in different directions. And she's kind of making a connection between flesh and spirit, and which, which is good, which means she knows what we're into today. Uh, chapter 5 in Galatians, uh, verse 16 to 26, the flesh and the spirit, and they are opposed to each other. She's, she's saying, they're looking, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what she said, but wow, impressive. You deserve a gold star. All right, good. Uh, anybody else? Uh, hey, hey why, don't, why don't we just move on to another question? What about... Um, how, why don't we speculate on how it's made? Anybody want to try to speculate on that? How, how was that made? I really want to call on Paula real bad. Okay, someone was inspired and that fueled the... That could be, yeah, we could think about that as why it was made. Um, and, and then that would work into how. Uh, how do you think it was done, Tyler? Yeah, was it was it a mirror? Is, you mean is it hold? Is there a mirror being held up to it? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think? Uh, Tyler says, "Is there a mirror on it? Maybe there's a mirror." Anybody else want to speculate? What? Carved it and then made a print. Okay, that's good. Uh, it was actually cut out of, of construction paper with an X-Acto knife. I actually did not, so to answer that question, I did not do this. Uh, but it's, it's cut out of paper and pasted down on the construction paper. So, um, And it is a mirror image. Um, Chris was at, saying, is it an optical illusion? Um, and so we could speculate on that. We could continue on that. This is what I would do in my classroom. We do this often. Um, and... It's something that is, is really would be different. Uh, it would be unusual for my middle school students to be used to something like this. Okay? Uh, now, the reason we have to speculate is because we often don't know a lot about the artwork. We, we, we don't know everything about it. You know, we haven't met the artist usually. You know, uh, shaking hands with the, with the artist and, asked, and interviewed them and asked them questions. And so, and so when we're looking at this art, we have to kind of speculate. Now, we might know something through research. I might look it up, you know, and I did, and find out how it was made. But usually, there's still, it leaves room for inference. It leaves room for speculation. And, and so, and, and this is different for, for middle school students. This is not something they come in naturally doing. I'm feeling like, uh, you know, raring to go, ready. To get, it's kind of different. Um, I, I tell them that we're learning how to talk and look at art intelligently. That's what, that's what I tell them. Now, uh, and they, and they kind of look at me like, what? And, you know, and, and, and I, so I explain, well, it, what I mean is we're going to look at it and talk about it intelligently. And, and this is instead of... What just kind of comes naturally, which is, oh, man, wow, that's cool. Or, man, that's messed up. Or, uh, I like that. Or, well, I don't like that. You know? Well, how come you don't like it? I don't know. It's wretched. You know? it all, it's messed up. It's, 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 it's weird. You know? or, or, I love it. It's awesome. This, that's amazing. It's, it's fascinating. You know? and, and that's about as far as, as you know, they're usually going to get, if they even get that far. And so what I'm doing is, is I'm kind of building into them uh, the skill of being able to look at it and then talk about it based on what they're seeing and, and using some new vocabulary. You see, my middle school students, um, they operate under a law, okay? 
It's a law. And, and those of you who've been around, now if you are in middle school and you're middle school age, I, I, no offense is intended whatsoever. And you'll see what I mean as I continue, okay? So don't get offended. Don't, you know, I resemble that remark, so don't worry about it. We'll, we'll just continue. But middle school students operate under a law, okay? And it goes something like this. Things that are fun do not require work. This includes thinking, all right? If work is involved, kind of reverse, in reverse, it can be said, work is involved, it can't really be that much fun. This is a law that that middle school students operate under. Um, So, therefore, do as little work as possible while still getting as much of what you want and have as much fun as possible while doing as little as possible. If the fun outweighs the work, then a little work is tolerable. But be careful not to be sucked in. Don't go to the dark side. This is where the teachers live. The adults. Where work is a good thing. It's touted as a wonderful thing. Responsibility is something to be desired. In this dark side. Don't believe their lies. They say to each other. To themselves. Now of course if comfort or pain. Comfort. Discomfort. Or pain result from the fun. Okay. Then the fun may not be worth it. Okay. This could be a consequence or a punishment. For some illicit fun that was had. And uh, in, in that case. The fun should be postponed to a a more opportune time. Not canceled. Just wait for it. Wait for your your chance. And then you can have the fun again. Now, the the, the funny thing, the scary thing about this is that that you are completely identifying with these middle school students. I mean, so am I. I mean, I'm I'm thinking they're pretty wise. Very efficient. Very efficient use of time and energy. I was at the Y, and I, and I, w- I was walking by, and I noticed they had, they had some scriptures, you know, you know, pray for whatever you pray for and believe you'll receive, you know, out of, out of I don't know if that's Mark or anyway. And then there's another one. There's another one that says, you are your first job, I think is what it says, something like that. You are your first yeah, you are your first job. And it says something like, um, um, if, if you are not filled up, then you can't have anything to give anyone else. You know? So I'm thinking, yeah, that's, it sounds wise, doesn't it? It really does. It sounds wise. Let's, get Galatians. Let's look in Galatians. Let's, uh, um, chapter 5. Some of you already have it out. I know you are anticipating it, and that's awesome. Chapter 5, verse 16. Let's read this together. Is that up there? Okay, good. All right. Um, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. This is what Kat was saying. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So what is walking by the Spirit? Okay, so imagine you're in uh, my middle school art class. Um, 
You're in the uh, classroom with the cinder block walls. Schools are always built with cinder block walls. The linoleum tile floor that's been waxed, stripped, waxed, stripped since 1969 every single year. The, the, and then the projector's on now. I've got like a whiteboard bolted on top of a chalkboard. And then on top of that is bolted a smart board. All right. So every time they if we come up with new technology, they just bolt it to the wall on top of the other thing. So there it is. And there's artwork projected on the screen. You can hear the hum of the projector and see the lint kind of floating in the air. And there's that smell that only a school has. You're probably experiencing that right now. I don't know why schools have this smell and no other institution has this smell when you walk into it. It's trapped in the walls, I guess. I, I don't know if it's the chemicals they use for cleaning and, and the waxing and, uh, it, or the unventilated bathrooms. We have bathrooms in my school. They were built with no vent. It's like a bomb shelter. You could survive in there. No vent or fan. What are they thinking? Nothing can escape from that room. Well, of course, over time, this builds up, you know. And then the, the smell wafting from the cafeteria as they're cooking the food, it, it just doesn't smell right. It, it's like, um, I wonder if they're boiling dish rags, you know. I mean, what is that, that smell? Now, I, I don't want to be too mean. I mean, the, the school lunches, they're not that bad. They're not that good. <laughs> but they do fuel your body in order to survive the rest of the day. So, um, so you've got that smell coming down the halls. And, and so there you are in, in sitting in class, and your teacher has been like, congratulations, glad you're here. You're going to think today. So you're like, well, there's like 10 eye rolls, you know, five fake yawns. Ooh, you know, and they're like, oh, here we go. And I want you to imagine yourself in there. And what I want to do in my classroom is lead my students out from under that law that they operate in. You see, they think there's freedom in that law. The one I described to you earlier. And what I want them to do is to start looking at the art, and I want them to start thinking about it, and I encourage them that they are, you know, each different and unique from each other and can see the art in, an, in a way that no one else can. And they start to enjoy that. A little bit. What? What? And and I begin to show them that I really do want to know what they think about it and what they see. And yes, I have some I have some answers and things that, and, and information I'm going to give them. But but I, I I let them know that I want to hear what they have to say. And so they begin to think. They begin to have freedom. And I don't allow students to attack each other in this in this kind of environment. As you can imagine, middle school students can sometimes be a little harsh with each other. You probably remember. And so sometimes the student wants to say, that's not three faces, you know, stupid. It was three faces, by the way, so I'm not, I'm not talking to whoever said that, but. Or man, you know, that, that is, or you know, that's completely wrong. I see something totally different. I don't allow them to do that. And what I do is I allow them to uh, disagree with each other, but they do it in a certain way. 
um, they begin to be informed now by what they're seeing. So instead of just saying, when they're looking at an image, instead of just saying, I like it, I don't like it, it's awesome, then I would begin to ask them why. And then they would say, well, I don't know, it's cool. And I said, well, why is it cool? Well, I like how it's divided up into three faces, two are profiles and one's facing forward. And I say, uh, really? So um, show me where the profile is. Oh, well, there's one going that way and there's one going that way and there's one looking at you. Okay. Um, and so why is that interesting to you? Well, because I think maybe the artist was saying, and then they begin to speculate. And you begin to hear middle school students say things that you never thought they would say. And it's a glorious thing to watch. They begin to abandon their trust in that law that they, used to, uh, that they used to put their trust in, which is preserve yourself, protect yourself from all your peers. Protect yourself from ridicule. Protect yourself from people laughing at you, looking down on you. Protect yourself from work. Protect yourself from giving the wrong answer. They begin to be able to operate out from under that. Now, it's not, it's not always easy. There are times when, when, when one slips back in and they'll say, you know, another student will say, well, I disagree. I do not, I do not think that the artist was saying that, um, that two, there are two opposing forces and one's looking that way and one's looking that way. I actually, and then they tell why. Because when I look at the image, this is what I see. And then the other person says, yes, but I disagree with you because when I look at the image, and then every once in a while they'll slip up. Stupid. You know. No, all right, let's back up a little bit. You know. Because you're lame. You know. All right, hold on. Back up. Because there, are two, there really are two forces uh, at war in them when they're doing this. One is wanting to revert back. And then one is enjoying the freedom, the new freedom that they have. So what is walking by the Spirit then? Because we just read that. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. I say walk by the Spirit, verse 16 it says. So what is walking by the Spirit? Walking by the Spirit happens when you believe new things. It, it, walking by the Spirit happens when you believe new things. Walking by the Spirit happens when what you believe about God and yourself is informed by who God says He is. And what he's done through his son. And I want to read that one more time. Walking by the Spirit happens when what you believe about God and yourself is informed by who God says he is and what he's done through his son. And this happens by the Spirit. He says it through the Spirit. He did what he did through his son by the Spirit. You believe it by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is walking in the very power of God. I'd like you to look at Romans 1.16. I'm just going to take a little aside here and a couple of scriptures in Romans. Just to, to kind of uh, underscore that. Walking by the Spirit is walking in the very power of God. Now that sound, I, we've got, we really have to, um, we have to kind of solidify that. That sounds too... Uh, lofty. Walking by the Spirit is walking in the power of God. And you're probably thinking, when you, if you hear that, especially if you're not a Christian, and, you're, and, and maybe you're not even used to hearing that, that that just sounds figurative. That just sounds lofty. That doesn't sound like anything. So let's look at Romans 1.16. And Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God 
for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. Paul is recognizing that the gospel is powerful. Like it's the power of God, he says. And that is why he's not ashamed of it. And the reason he is saying that he's not ashamed is because he could have reason to be ashamed. Because the gospel was about Jesus uh, crucified. That's, that's shameful. This is about Jesus dying a criminal's death. That's shameful. And he's saying, but I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because it's the power of God. I'd like you to look at Romans 8, 11. It'll be on the screen too, it should be. Romans 8, 11. Now listen to this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's amazing. That's amazing. The spirit of him. So I hope this is starting to, to kind of make this more where you can kind of grasp it, hold on to it. That it's not just a lofty thing to say, walking in the spirit is walking in the power of God. He said the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the spirit that gives life to you. And aren't you glad, by the way, talking about Jesus, aren't you glad that we serve a king who understands you, who can empathize with you? In every way. Isn't it good to have that? You know, uh, it, it, when you're a politician, it, you have a difficult job. And I'm really not saying this to mock or to criticize uh, a lot of politicians that we have. But, but it is a difficult thing because usually you've accumulated quite a bit of money in your life. You have money and you've been successful and sometimes you're even rich. And now you have to, your job is to uh, identify with the common man, Right? So what do they do? They always throw on a plaid shirt and some jeans and they go walking around the plant, right? And then they make sure that there's pictures of it and they talk about it and you see them. They're not wearing their, their suit in there. They want to identify with the common guy, with the common person. But that's hard to do because you know they're not the common person. Because the common person can't do what they're doing. The common person, it, at least at the place that they're in, is not able to do that. So they have had success in their lives. They have more money. They, they don't live an everyday life like we do, like the common person does. And so it's, it's difficult as much as they want to sympathize if they ever had a life that was, you know, really mundane and normal and ordinary. They have to really think back and remember it because they're not living it now. This is not true of Jesus. Jesus actually does identify with you. He identifies with you right now. In Luke 3 and 4, chapter 3 and 4, you don't have to turn to that because there's a whole lot of it and we're not going to read all of chapter 3 and 4 in Luke. But I want to refer to it and you, most of you are familiar with this. Even if you're not a Christian, you're familiar with hearing about Jesus going in the desert, Jesus being baptized. You've probably heard that story. He's told by, now listen, he's told by the Spirit of God that he's the Son of God. 
when he's baptized. He tells John the Baptist to baptize him. He baptizes him, comes out of the water, and then the Holy Spirit says, or God says by the Spirit, you are my son, and in, in, in whom I am well pleased. He says, this is the Son of God. He declares him to be the Son of God, tells him who he is. Then immediately after that, the Holy Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He didn't, now listen, the Holy Spirit didn't just drop Jesus off at the desert. Kind of like you drop your kid off at school. Okay, see you later, have a nice day. Oh, whoops, he forgot his lunch, you know. No, he didn't do that. The Spirit is with Jesus. The Spirit has ascended and said, this is my son. And then leads him into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And the first thing the devil does to tempt him is he tempts his identity by saying, or he tests his identity, challenges it by saying, if you're the son of God, then make these stones turn to bread. But he just got told he was the son of God. So now he's having to doubt. He's not having to doubt. He's being tempted to doubt, just like we are. That's a real temptation he felt. Oh, but he's Jesus. Ah, and he was fully man. He was tempted in every way that we are. And he was tempted to, to prove, hey, I'm the son of God and I'll show you because I'm going to make these and depend on himself. But he refused to do that. Instead, he said, he quoted scripture, he quoted the word of God, and he trusted on what God said. Because God's word then showed uh, itself to be enough. That he didn't even have to work a wondrous sign to prove his identity. What God said about him was already enough. Jesus understands that. So Jesus, the second Adam, he passes the test. He passes the test that the first Adam failed. Because Adam failed the identity, identity test. Because what happened is God had told Adam who he was. You're a man. You already made in my image. You and the woman are in, in my image. That's who you are. And you are, you are free to, 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 to live in this garden, to work it, to watch, for, out, uh, watch out for it and to uh, protect it and to be vigilant about it. And uh, I will reveal to you who I am. In my, when I'm ready, because I'm, I'm God. And then you'll learn about good and evil at, at the speed that I want you to learn about it. And in the way that I want you to learn about it. By what I say and through my word. But instead the serpent came and said to the woman, No, um, God is not the God you think he is. He's, he really is kind of jealous of you. You see, you, you can't trust him. You aren't made in his image. If you want to be like him, you've got to eat the fruit. Which is ridiculous if you think about it. How could the fruit make them like God? But they, but they believed that lie. I mean, after all, the fruit was made by God. They were made by God. But instead of what he said about them, they believed what the devil said about them. They failed the test. Jesus passed the test. Aren't you glad that we have a king that understands? So, uh, remember this, that the Spirit was the very person that actually gave life to Adam. So, this is not when Paul is saying that, it, that um, you actually get life, that the Spirit gives you life. 
to your mortal body. This is not a brand new concept he's come up with. The Spirit is what gave us life in the first place. Because he breathed the, the breath of life into the nostrils of Adam. So even by the very Spirit of God, Adam had his life. So Jesus was no different. So we can look to Jesus and see him walking in the Spirit. Jesus said, I only do what my, I see my Father doing in John five nineteen. That's walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is telling what you have seen, being a witness. Let's look at Acts, Acts 5.30. We have this, uh, this one in Acts to look at, and then we're going to go back to Galatians. So um, go ahead and just, let's go ahead and let's all look at this one, Acts 5.30, and then you can just go back to Galatians chapter 5, and we'll stay there for the rest of the, of the time. Um, the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So walking in the Spirit is telling what you've seen. It's being a witness. But Kevin, I wasn't actually there. I didn't actually see it. Uh, Yeah, but the Spirit in you did. So it can actually be said of you, oh, I I perceive that you've been with Jesus. I can tell you have been with Jesus. You've seen this. Well, how can you tell? By the Spirit. Middle school students operate under another law. Uh, I guess it's a, I guess it's kind of a, it's, it's not another law. It's just a subset of the same law. It's called insecurity. They're not free to be themselves. They're not. They're really bound up. They know they fall short. They just have it in them. They just feel it. They don't feel like they're good enough. They don't feel like they measure up. They fall short of the expectations of their peers and people around them. They're not attractive enough. They don't look like that kid on the Abercrombie & Fitch bag that you see walking down the hall. It's the weirdest thing. Like I was in the mall and then I see like a, it looks like a soccer mom, like just a normal average like mom with like three kids dragging behind her. And then she's holding that Abercrombie & Fitch bag. And then there's a guy on the front of it. He's shirtless, you know. He's all... Shiny and it's on her bag. This is weird. It's just a, it's a weird thing to see. And so they don't look like that. They know they don't look like that. They don't feel like that. They're not smart enough. They don't measure up. They think they'd be more valuable. If they were like someone else, if they could just talk like this guy, this kid in their class is more popular, if they could talk like the popular kid or act like the popular kid or dress like the popular kid, if they could be more like each other, like their peers, then they could be more valuable. And so oftentimes they're just trying to be all like each other. Or even when they're bucking the system and, and, and being rebellious, they're doing it just like a group of people, all do it together in the same way. They're all rebellious in the same way, wearing the same sort of bucking the system clothes. And I mean, you know, so they all look alike again. 
And the, and the scary thing, the funny thing about this is, is that you're sitting here right now and you're identifying with them right now. This thing I'm describing about my middle school students describes your experience. It describes you. It describes how you feel. And you know what? It's a real thing. Adult or child, this describes your experience, and it's real. This is a real thing. This is a real fear. This is not. Now, we're tempted a lot of times to think, oh, no, this is if they could just perceive how wonderful they really are. No, no, no. They really don't measure up. (laughs) And neither do you. You really don't. You're really not smart enough. You're not attractive enough. You're not... You, you're not smart enough to do, any, do it on your own. I mean, I heard a preacher once say, and I, I, I thought it was so funny. It was about a different subject. But he said, your best thinking has gotten you where you are today. Congratulations. And most people go, ooh, I might want to think, look somewhere else other than my best thinking because I just don't feel like I've arrived. Well, you don't have what it takes. That's why. You do fall short. It's a real thing to worry about. So in my classroom, I've kind of uh, instituted a new law. I've declared my classroom to be a safe place for my kids when they come in. They haven't earned this. They haven't been nice to me. So I'm paying them back with this favor. No, I love them. I want... I want this to be true in my classroom when they come in. I want them to have this freedom. I want them to have this, this environment to be in. They don't need to be the smartest. Under this law, they don't need to be the smartest. In fact, it's better if they're not because, as I tell my kids often, you actually came here to learn something. So it doesn't really help you if you already know everything, which you don't. You know? <laughs> and uh, they don't need to be the best looking. They don't need to be the coolest. They don't need to dress the best. I don't care what how they dress. That if it doesn't it doesn't affect me whatsoever. They think I'm old anyway. They're so wrong. <laughs> they stop being so fixated on themselves. So they stop looking at themselves as much. Why? Well, because I've got them busy doing something else. They're looking at the artwork that's up on the screen. They're listening to things I'm saying. They're sharing things that they think. And everything they say is now more about what they see. Not just kind of what they thought when they came in, which wasn't much. And they see the art as an individual like no one else can see it. I tell them that. Nobody can see it like you see it. No, nobody can. You see it in a unique way. You have a unique thing to say about it. But what's really cool about that is no one person can see it as clearly as everyone can see it. I mean, we saw that happen this morning, right? We were all looking at that image. Not everybody saw the same thing at the same time. What happened when someone said, oh, I see, I see uh, a llama. I don't know if anyone else saw that. But, but maybe somebody else in here was going, oh, yeah, there's the llama. Or at least those are some horns there, elk horns. Or maybe someone didn't see the profile faces 
or didn't notice that the noses can also be ears. Maybe they didn't see the little sort of gremlin-looking face down where people said they saw the mustache. But someone else said they saw mustaches, so then everyone saw mustaches. No, no one person can see it the way everybody can see it. But everybody can't see it the way the one person does. It takes, it takes us all to see it accurately. So let's read the rest of Galatians. Let's go back to verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality... Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, enmity, I always say it wrong, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, I want to get back to the, uh, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his uh, passions and desires. I want to talk about that for a minute because that's a hard one to understand. That's another one of those real lofty sort of things that just sounds like, what are you really saying, Kevin? That's not even possible. You could think. You might think that. It's, you can't. You, I, my desires I still have. They can't be nailed to a cross. That was 2,000 years ago. How, and it's not even a, can I touch my desires? I mean, how do you stick it up there and pl- Seems a little bit abstract, doesn't it? Well, it's a little more concrete than you think. Let's look at, uh, you don't have to look, but just listen. I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's Jesus. Uh, For our sake he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. So Jesus took our place. So it is. It's real. That happened. So sometimes we get this idea, this, 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 is, this is easy to, to, to go to, but it's, 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 a, it's a wrong direction. We start thinking, okay, walking by the Spirit. This Galatians thing, this is great. I've got to stay in step with the Spirit. I've got to walk by the Spirit. So if I just can get filled up with the Spirit more, then I won't sin. Like, okay, so fill me. And then, Lord, I'm on a vessel. Just fill me up because if I'm filled up, I won't sin. That is not what Paul is telling the Galatians. He's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's not saying if you get filled up with the Spirit, you won't sin. That is not what he's saying. Because actually what he says in verse 25 is, if you look, if we live by the Spirit... Remember the breath of life that God breathed into Adam? That's his very life. That causes you to live. We've already looked in Romans how that is the same power that gives life to your mortal body. If that's how you live, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. 
He said those, that, that sentence has got two parts. You live by the Spirit. You keep in step with the Spirit. So keeping in step with the Spirit is actually a slightly different thing than being alive through the Spirit. And he's really telling these Galatians, hey, you were made alive. You were completely dead. You remember last week? You were dead laying on the side of the road. Left for, I mean, you're, you're the dead guy who can't do anything about it. And now you've been brought to life. So keep in step with the Spirit and the life I've given you. And that list of sins, oh, we've heard that a lot. That's a, that's, a, that's a real favorite, that list of sins. We like to go through it and say, well, I like to do this, and it's not on this list, so maybe that's okay. That's not why that list is there. This has huge implications for community, for us as community, as for church uh, as a family of God with each other. These are communal sins. Let's look at them. These are sins that are done in the context of community, sexual immorality. Even if it's done alone, its impact is communal, okay? So don't think that. It still has community implications, sexual immorality. Um, Strife with each other. Jealousy of each other. Envy of one another. These are things you do with other people. I have not been jealous of myself or envious of myself in quite a long time. I'm not saying it never happens, just it's been a while. The fruit of the Spirit, okay? We've, we've, done, we've had a lot of talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, well, I don't know. I, this thing is coming out. I, this is probably not of the Spirit because it's not listed here. That list is, is a long, nice, good, long list, but it's not meant necessarily to be an exhaustive list. He just like throws out. It's like he's, in, he's on a roll and he just throws out a bunch of words and then it could go on. He could, he could say, and another thing, this, this, and this. These are the fruit of the Spirit. Love for, we, for each other. That's communal. Joy. Joy in serving each other. Peace. Peace among, in and among anxious people. Peace when you're serving people that are difficult to serve. Living around people that are difficult to live around. Peace when someone is bothering you. Peace when someone is hurting you. Patience with each other. These are community things. So to walk in the Spirit. This has really been, it sounded like an abstract thing. Oh, Paul, this is that part of Galatians where he says, walk by the Spirit. Fill me. Fill me up. And then now I won't sin. Oh, I'm sinning. Okay, I'm not filled in. Man, what a vicious cycle that is. Aren't you glad that he's saying it's not up to you to stay filled? He brought you to life with the Spirit. So then what is it to walk in the Spirit? Is it an abstract, just out there concept? I'm saying it's not. It's not. To walk in the Spirit is to believe the gospel. To walk in the Spirit is to believe the gospel. When I, when I come under, and this is, listen, if you, I'm not going to assume you're a Christian here. If you, you may not be. So, so you need to hear what this is. When I come under, because you may not have done this, the loving, gracious, 
righteous, authoritative rule of King Jesus, I'm not giving up freedom. You may be thinking, I can't do that because I can't give up myself. I don't want to give up the freedom. Listen, you're not giving up freedom. You're giving up chains. And these were chains that the Galatians were picking up left and right. And Paul's like, no, no, no. You're free. chains, Chains that keep you insecure, you're giving those up. When you come under the rule of King Jesus, when you come under his rule, it sounds like they don't make sense. Freedom, rule, they do. Chains that keep you in fear of others, of your circumstances, of situations, of possibilities, of diseases, of all kinds of things. Chains that bind me to what only I can produce. You were never meant to to produce the way God produces. You were never meant to know the way God knows. That's a chain. Those are bonds. Let them go. God has broken you free. Chains that bind me to my own thinking and what I am able to figure out. Chains that bind me to the law and the consequences of not keeping it, the punishment. You're free from those. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Yes, he was the fulfillment of the law, but he also took all of the punishment. All of it. For, for you falling horribly short. Now that was a real thing. That's, that's like a substitution. He, he took that punishment so you don't have to. That's real. So that's not just some lofty idea. He became sin. He was crucified. Therefore, your sin is nailed to the cross. That's what Paul's saying in Galatians. He means what he's saying. And it's important for you to understand that I'm not, when I'm talking about these fears that the middle school students have and their insecurities and then uh, understanding that those are a little bit close to the bone for you because you're identifying with them, those are real fears. They're real. You don't just need to see yourself better and you're, oh, you're just perceiving yourself wrong. If you could just see how good of a person you are and how smart you really actually are, then your problems will be solved. No. Those are real fears. You don't measure up. You're not good enough. You're never going to. That's real. So, but that's good news, though. That sounds terrible, right? No, that good news is actually, that bad news is what makes the good news so good. Because it's so real, that's what makes good news out of Jesus taking it. Because he is smart enough. He does have the answers. He has everything. He has all the wisdom. He does understand. He is uh, good enough, big enough, strong enough. And so he took it for you. That's a real thing. So that, that actually makes it good news. So those fears are founded, yes. But we don't have to be fearful anymore. Because walking in the Spirit is believing what God says about who you are and what he says about himself and what he's done through his son. Believing that, that's walking in the spirit because it's by and through the spirit that all those things are true. There's even one scripture and I can't remember what it says, but it says the spirit is truth, is truth. So we've fallen short 
and we don't deserve the approval and acceptance from anyone. But there's only one who does deserve that. It's Jesus, and he's the one that, that took what we fear the most. He took it. He took that rejection on a cross. He took rejection by his peers. Hey, he took it by us. He took it by God. He was rejected by God. God turned his face away. I mean, that's what happened at the cross. But he didn't fall short. And now he's established his kingdom, his law. Now, it's not a, it's, it's not a different law because Jesus said that, <laughs> Jesus said that, um, that the law could be summed up in love God and love your neighbor. And that, that's all the law and the prophets. So he's not like making a new law. He's helping us understand God's law. And so he's established his kingdom. So now in this kingdom, in this kingdom, we're actually free to look at him. Think about the kids that were looking at the artwork. They stopped looking at themselves. They were looking at this image. It had captivated them. We're free to look at him, to study him, to ponder him. We don't need to speculate. He's revealed himself to us through his word. He's made himself clearer to us by his spirit. In him we're free to come to the Father. He's now our Father. We're his children. We're free to enjoy him now. We're free to enjoy each other. Think about that for a second. We don't always enjoy each other. Let that soak in. We're free to enjoy each other. That takes freedom. We're free to do that. We're free to serve each other. We're free to be wrong. That's freedom. Because when you declare you know everything, (laughs) you better know everything. But we're free from that. We're free to to be wrong and then to be corrected. That's a freedom. That's a beautiful thing. We're free to be uniquely who God declares that we are in Him. We're free to serve Him. He's the image of God. That boggles our mind. He's the image of God that captivates us. He's that image that captures our hearts. He's the, he, he's the image that informs our thoughts. He's the image that changes and molds and informs our speech. It's when we're looking at him that our actions change and become different He's the artwork that we're gazing upon, that we're studying. He's the beauty that fascinates us. It captivates us. He's captured our attention. And so think about that. We're captives. To what? Freedom. That's a pretty cool thing to be captured by. And so there we're completely and utterly free. And to walk by the Spirit, that's a real thing now. So as the worship team comes up, I just want to read 1 Peter uh, 2, 9 through 10 just to to close out. And then we'll move into uh, communion from there. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies 
of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 